Chapter 39 Isla walked back into the gallery, noticeably cheerier than when she boarded. You look perkier, whispered Sally, chief stewardess on the new 747. I recognise that look. It's unmistakable. Someone just came on board who you know, didn't they? She had it all figured out already. Sally always had everything figured out, the mother hen providing more unnecessary parenting. It's someone I knew, just briefly, once upon a time. Isla drifted off down the lane of memories that took her back three years. If he had not received that call, how would their lives be now? Would they be together now? She didn't even know if he was a parent, whether they'd kept the baby. She'd started seeing somebody a few months after returning from Barbados. Isla was young, beautiful and living a comfortable life, choosing her path as opposed to it being determined for her. With her folks continuing their tediously slow decline into inevitable madness, she had moved out to get away from their small world. The new development behind Watford Junction, while only seven miles away from her family home, seemed a world away from Hemel. Since moving out, things were better with her parents. Absence, heart, fonder, etc. She'd fallen into a routine of seeing her dad when she wasn't travelling, and it coincided with Watford playing at home. But since the much-loved manager, Graham Taylor, had left for a second time, her dad didn't bother to go with any sort of regularity. He didn't like change, and although it had only been a few weeks, he'd already decided that he didn't care much for Viali and all that Italian crap. The distance between her and the family brought the perfect blend of isolation and familiarity. Her boyfriend was local, but not too close, so they had to make an effort to see each other. It was a relaxed companionship, and as a result, her time away was never an issue for them. At her age, she felt too young to be tied to somebody because it was convenient. Isla thought she was one of several people he was seeing, and it didn't bother her. She was mature enough to reflect that her indifference spoke volumes about how she felt about him, which was far more relevant than what he thought about her. It wasn't just hearing the toots that made her think of Steve. Listening to the bands she knew he was involved in was just as much a trigger to initiate the memories. Checking passenger lists for his name was so much a habit after three years, she did it instinctively. Lewis, Stephen, Tear, Gold, 442609900. But the name never came up. The irony was that she was held up and late to board today, not leaving her enough time to go through the passenger list. This made his appearance a surprise for both of them. She convinced herself the feeling she had disclosed to the sleeping man three years ago had evaporated. But still, she checked those lists and when she saw him today, she couldn't stop the feeling from coming back tenfold. Sally interrupted her daydreaming. You've got two nights away this time. Are you going to do anything about that bloke or just leave it to somebody else? He's gorgeous, Isla. You may tap up the passengers, Sally, but that's not me. Yes, okay. There are no cases of people falling in love with the passengers. Ever. You know Miranda? That posh lass from, oh, where is she from? You know Miranda, up her own ass, Miranda. Sally struggled to clearly describe her, but Isla knew exactly who she meant and what was coming. This was another urban myth that she never bothered to entertain. I know who you mean, tall blonde Miranda, what about her? That's the one. Well, she met someone on a trip back from Hong Kong and was engaged within a week. He was minted and old and got her a dream transfer from the plane right into his mansion. So, she married a passenger and no one put her on disciplinary. Isla didn't want to get into this and set Sally straight. She had been friends with Miranda and the truth was that she was in Hong Kong for the Rugby Sevens with mates as part of their annual school reunion. The bloke was the brother of one of her friends and she was not even working on the flight home. It was her holiday, a crap story all around and showed how this type of gossip morphed into the fact by third telling. Isla watched Steve settle into his seat. 
staring peacefully out of the window, evidently deep in thought. He still had the same attractive charm and an easy calm that was at odds with the mania of his professional lifestyle. They'd only shared a few grains in life's hourglass, but she remembered his stories about how busy his life was, and that was then. No wonder people crashed and burned in an industry that was full of early deaths, either through the pressure or the old age curse of creativity. Artists often died before their time and it was one of the things Steve had told her which underpinned why he was so attentive to his charges. Thinking about this stuff made her realise two things. She knew more about this business than she realised and from staring at him she could see that Steve was not okay. Taking her jump seat next to the exit, Isla had a minute of peace. Steve was still staring out the window, half ignoring the attempts at conversation from the chap next to him. Once the plane was airborne, she wanted to get to him with the first round of drinks as quickly as she could, but Steve was moving through the cabin as soon as the seatbelt signs changed to allow movement. He was heading her way, and Isla's heart raced. Had he been saving something to say? And was this about to be a parody of that bit in The Wedding Singer where Adam Sandler starts playing guitar to Drew Barrymore? She caught Sally's eye. That woman was ready to pounce like a leopard, stalking their prey, given a half chance. Isla braced herself as Steve closed in. She looked for his guitar, ready to scream yes to whatever question he might ask. I, I just wanted to ask if I can move seats. I don't want a conversation with anybody today and I could do with not sitting next to somebody that will not stop talking until we reach JFK. I, I don't want to appear rude, so could you help me out, please? Oh, of course, Steve. She paused, instantly deflated by the functional, unexpected request. Let me see what I can do. He smiled back, grateful. He'd made his request and could have gone back to his seat, but he stayed lurking around the gallery. It was possible for her to move somebody up the cabin if there were seats available, but this flight was full and there was nothing she could do for him. After a few moments of trying, she delivered the bad news. Her heart had dropped when he said that he didn't want to speak to anybody and she took it as a personal warning that he would settle with his partner and child, possibly even his wife by now, and to back off. Her tone was less cheery than before. I'm sorry, Steve. There's nothing available. But if you want to, when I finish dishing out the goodies, you're welcome to come back up here and join me in the jump seats. I promise not to say a word if you don't want to talk. Or we could catch up on what's happened the last few years. I won't have much time. Having to work kind of comes with a job title. But you'd be welcome to join me. Your choice. As she spoke, she glanced at his left hand. No ring. This encouraged her mouth to run faster, gibbering her way through every half-thought in her head. Passengers weren't supposed to sit in the steward's seats, but they often did. She hoped she hadn't come across as desperate. But given another minute, she would have invited him for dinner, suggested a location for their wedding and named their children. There's no ring. While much had changed in three years when it came to her feelings for Steve, it was clear some things had stayed the same. She knew the US East Coast well. In New York, she sometimes went out to Long Beach or down through Jersey. She couldn't understand why her colleagues didn't want to explore further afield, unable to tear themselves away from the established locals where they'd let off steam each and every visit. But she wanted more. The trips to Washington were not as frequent as the busier hubs, but when she flew into the capital, Isla would walk the loop from the White House to the Capitol Hill, through the Long Park to the Lincoln Memorial before skipping over the Potomac River and around Arlington Cemetery. Rather than waste yet another day in yet another bar, she would spend it walking around some of the most famous resting places in the world. The American public continued to be the source of much of her amusement, especially those occupants of the tourist trams who couldn't get out and walk 30 metres to see the Kennedy grave, the historic focal point at the centre of the 600-acre cemetery. She didn't choose to go on the outings alone and always encouraged her colleagues to join her, but their interest lay in drinking their per diems dry in a familiar, lively venue. It was great sometimes, but it was tedious when it happened every night. After a few months of joining in and being a team player, Isla chose daytime overnights and explored alone. 
New York held a poignancy for her and she always remembered her first visit and that one perfect evening with Steve. Isla glanced over, taking pleasure in watching him drink the G&T that was already waiting for him at his seat. After three years, she remembered his favourite drink and knew that he would realise it was her who put it there whilst he visited the facilities. Isla was acutely aware that she seemed unable to focus on anything else other than him. She just hoped that the journey would be kind enough to give them some proper time to reconnect.